You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc Coyle. thank you as always for checking out the program i'm doing all right i don't know actually let's let's actually address last week's episode which was kind of a last minute thing i put together but felt appropriate and i just want to say i got a lot of very positive feedback and responses to that episode. I think, I just think in general, the more honest and forthright I am with my perspective on things, it, it tends to kind of cut deep. Every time I, I kind of <laughs> lean in with the, the emotion and kind of my in, internal truth, I think it, it seems to connect with people and people seem to reach out. So I, I appreciate that everyone who got something out of that episode and kind of related to some of the things I was, I was talking about, uh, you know, a lot of people reached out to me, I think just checking in, you know, making sure I'm okay and things like that. And I just want to say in, in general, I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not okay <laughs> in, in that just, I think this stuff, it just kind of, it manifests itself in the way it's just going to manifest. And I'm, I'm kind of noticing a pattern to a year ago where I'm in this phase right now where I just kind of just want to eat, eat crappy foods and drink too much and watch too many movies. And I just, I think that's just part of it. You just have to kind of get through that. And then when things settle down, kind of get all the markers of health in order, because I, for me, it's hard to do all the other stuff I enjoy doing like this show, like working on music uh, and also just developing other projects and be, you know, I, I like to really delve into things. And if I'm not completely functioning in all cylinders from a health standpoint and kind of tempering all of those vices, then 
I'm not able to do that stuff to the best of my ability. So that's kind of the next the next phase. But but yeah, in general, like I said, it's it's been a it's been a weird time, but day by day, that's all you can do. Take it one day at a time. And actually, I'm not going to belabor you all with a lengthy monologue this week since I did I did one last week and I'm now I don't feel vastly that different even though I will say this it did make me feel better I was having a rough day before I recorded that and it definitely felt like there was a weight off my shoulder but I'm I'm going to get right into it we have a sponsor this week this is a band from upstate New York they're called Deveria and we're going to play a track entitled Kingdom of Evermore <laughs>
That was Deveria with their track Kingdom of Evermore, which is from their brand new album entitled Suicide Forest, which is available to stream pretty much everywhere where you stream things. But yeah, these guys are from upstate New York. And I have to say that was a very epic track. All right. That had everything. It had the 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 epic vocals, you know, where I, I started doing that thing. You know, what is it called? The Invisible Orange. You know, you start clutching your hand in the air had felt a little like nevermore vibe in there but just just very old school it had all this stuff the clean breakdown the big solos that was a lot of fun but yeah but these guys have an interesting story because they got together around 2010 did a few things put out an ep then broke up and then got back together a couple years ago and kind of been kicking ass ever since then opening up for bands like flotsam and jetsam bumblefoot dead by wednesday the Iron Maidens, good friend of mine, Sonata Arctica. Yeah, but they're out there. They are kicking ass. And just so you know, the way the name of the band is spelled is D-E-V-E-R-I-A. So if you want to check them out, go over to their website, which is www.deveriaNation.com. Or their Facebook is Deveria1. And their YouTube is Deveria Official. So check them out. Tell them the X-Man sent you. And that uh, we like to support the bands that support the show. And if you'd like to hear your band on the X-Man and you want to sponsor a show, just shoot me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX. Or just drop in the DMs. I'm 
was behind the ball a little bit on this stuff. I'm slowly but surely kind of getting caught up and I'm way behind on booking guests. But as work gets back to normal for myself, I'm going to get back into that. And I've got some cool prospects, some cool ideas. I want to kind of mix it up, not be a little too predictable with it and just bring you guys stuff that that feels unique. So thanks to Deveria. So we have a guest this week and a very special guest in my opinion, because it's the first member of Slipknot I have had on the X-Men show. And obviously it's Slipknot. They are one of the biggest metal bands ever and a band that's had a, a monumental impact on my life in terms of early touring that I did uh, with God Forbid and how awesome and influential they've been to us. And I have Mr. Alessandro Venturella, a.k.a. Alex, a.k.a. V-Man, the bassist for a few years now. And he was not in the band when we toured them back in the day, but he's someone that I got to meet not that long ago, going back uh, six or seven years ago. And his story is just absolutely incredible. It's inspiring. And he's exactly the type of guest that I think fits this show just because it shows you that you can have so many chapters in your life. And if you just work hard, be smart and be, just be fucking cool. That's just half of it. Just be cool. And people like you, things can happen. And, you know, t talent helps. Remember that talent always helps. But this was a real treat. And I was so excited that we were able to make this happen. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with the incredible V-Man. Sean uh, Clown was just doing one just now, so uh, that's why I delayed a little bit. So we just, uh, one after another one today, so. Um, you guys are like collectively doing press? Uh, well, he does main press, but uh, at the moment, uh, it seemed like an opportunity for me to do something. So. Yeah. He, does, he does his uh, podcast that he does for notfest.com. So. I've seen that. I've seen that. Well, it's, listen, it's during the, uh, the pandemic, everyone's gotten in, in, into the podcast game, you know? It, the, the, the corner's gotten crowded. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, this, this, I, I think it's the same with, like, YouTube, like, yeah, like a new bit of gear comes out, and then there's like fucking twenty reviews of all the same bit of gear. And I'm just like, all right, <laughs> you know. Is that what? Do you do that? Do you do gear? Reviews? I don't. I don't know. I just, you know, just I'm a, you know, I kind of come back, come from a techie point of view. So for me, it was just like I'm always nerding out in gear. So for me, it's like, you know, you read one review, but there's like all the good dudes, like Ola England stuff like that. You know, like I trust his opinion on stuff, but. You know, I'm starting to see a trend now. It's just like 50,000 people all reviewing the same product. And, yeah. Well, it's this uh, giant shift that's happened in the music industry where I think the pandemic was like a wake-up call to everyone who depends on touring for their livelihood is that sure. we, we all have to diversify our skill sets and find other ways to promote whatever we're doing and become... You know, everyone's their own personal brand outside yeah. of their 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 projects and, and stuff like that. So I think ultimately it's a good thing. But yeah, we we do 
uh, have this situation of of um, oversaturation. Now, I just saw this t- statistic like last year in 2020, there was something like there was over two million, like 2.5 million artists put up really songs. Yeah. On on Spotify. And you're like, <laughs> so it's like literally there's there's, you know, and most of that music will never really be heard outside of maybe. Yeah, for sure people's friends or something but it's this situation where ever the ability to create has been democratized which ultimately is a great thing i think i think it's good no totally and you know i'm not begging on people that are doing that i just think that i don't know there's uh i don't know i need to word this in a, in a, in a, in the right way you know someone you like yourself you've been in a successful band you're a successful musician you've got great work you know, now, for for me, I would take your opinion over certain things. Do you know what I mean? Of course. But I feel like there's other times that people release stuff or do stuff. But what is you know? How do you know what is it? Real information they're giving me? Is it like right? Is do you know what I mean? And I feel like other kids might see that and they're like, oh, this is the truth. But is it the truth? Do you know what I mean? It's like, are they learning bad habits from that? You know. But, I think, yeah, it's just the oversaturation, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's mine. No, I think, I think you make a great point. And that's uh, essentially the blind leading the blind. And, and where, they, where we see that permeate, I think, in the most destructive way is like, I feel, I feel the last four or five years has been this um, collectively, we're all trying to figure out what, what's reality, what's real, right? What is fundamentally true? And that's, by the way, that's one of like the oldest philosophical and existential questions since humans have had consciousness, right? Like what is real? And and essentially, you know, we have a a society that lacks trust, right? No one, we don't trust experts. We don't trust doctors. We don't trust the government. We don't trust (laughs) teachers. We don't like, so it's, so it's this weird way of like, um, you know, where, uh, what's that, what's, what's it called? Where like the dumbest person thinks they're the, the, the smartest person. Um, <laughs> I forget the name of the, um, the, uh, the, the, the psychological problem, but in, in a way it's like the least amount of qualifications you have almost makes you more reputable to some people. Cause they know you're not like, you're not bought, bought and sold. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know, so that's, I think that you, you see it kind of exists in all these different, uh, formats but uh but anyway we didn't come here to talk about all that stuff no <laughs> you, you my Just friend me. Oh, no, no, i don't like talking about myself but no. oh it's all good well listen man i i really appreciate you taking your time to uh be on the show you're someone i've had in the back of my mind for a while now because this show is really about kind of examining these like transitions yeah and how you know, even, and it started with myself, right? Like trying to figure out, I was in one band half my life and didn't know who I was and I was trying to figure out what to do next. And and then I've done so many of these now where you get to see that people like me, where we have this first chapter and you kind of, you think that embodies everything who you are, but yeah. you, don't, you don't realize there's just other opportunities and life goes on. And, and yeah. so people like you are, for me, very inspiring. And I think inspiring to people who listen, who will listen to this show. Thank you. Dr. Just put, put that out there. And by the way, like I've always known you as V-Man, but do you, do you prefer to be called Alex, Alessandro? How should I refer uh, to you? It's one of those ones where I've had 
my close friendship group, you know, being from, from the UK and stuff. And even when I was teching, it was just like V-Man was, people would email me from big companies. It was just started off with V-Man, but it went all the way back to some other kids. So it was just one of those things where you just, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's stuck. Do you keep using it? You know? And, <laughs> Doc, Doc isn't my real name. <laughs> and, you know, and some people are like, oh, what the fuck does that stand for? And I'm like, oh, whatever. You know? I mean, there's been many a times where I've just like, Okay. All right. Well, what do you, what do you prefer to be? Right? I'm happy with V-Man. V-Man's fine. Yeah. Alex, you know. I just didn't want to offend you. Oh, make- it's hard to offend me, mate. So um, you're British, if um, your accent didn't give that away. British, British Italian. <laughs> British so. Italian, yes. You have an exceptionally Italian name. Yeah. Uh, it was just quite funny when I thought, when, the, when I first got the, the booklet on the first record I played on Slipknot, and it was... Alessandro Venturella, and I was like, and that's everyone else's name. I was like, okay, it's uh, spicy, you know. <laughs> I I love it. I mean, it's probably you know how you know there's languages, and you know you you're a world traveler. You go all over the place, and and some some languages they have a nice nice yeah. lyrical sound, and some are harsher and a little more. You know, yeah. Italian's got to be in the top five, right? Of just nicest sounding. Like, yeah, Italian and French for me is just, I think they're very soft, but, you know, expressive languages. But then again, I, 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 love, uh, I dabble. Yeah. I used to speak quite well, and then touring happened, and then everyone's English or speaks English. So it's just like, you know, it's just one of those things where that kind of, you know, I, I try sometimes to be, you know, but... Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like music theory. You know what I mean? It's like studied it, did it, and then it was just like brushing up, like getting on the piano. Now I'm just like wasted ten years of my life just going out the window, and then you just find like piecing it all back together again. It's that kind of thing. You know? Nah, it's trust me, it's it's there. I was I was listening to uh, the glory, the cry for silence record. Oh, nice. There's this instrumental on there, and I'm like, I'm like, that's not, I'm like that sounds like a dude who knows stuff. <laughs> it was uh, that was funny that uh, um, that song I didn't want our singer to sing on it because I hated him so much. <laughs> I was like, "You're not ruining that song," so we made it an instrumental. But, uh, Maybe that's how that's the genesis of most instrumentals is the you know the civil war between the vocalists and non-vocalists in the band. We're just you know trying to protect our protect our shit. Uh, but speaking of "Cry for Silence." Mm. went back and i uh you know listened to some of the the early stuff and you know it felt very you know like a, the, i there was a demo right that came out in 2001 yeah it was uh i the, 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 a souvenir from italy i think it was called or i could be wrong but i think it's that <laughs> but it you know i i love going back and listening to especially with this this show cuz you know we have a lot of prominent musicians but you go back and it feels like we all start kind of at the same spot, uh, especially, you know, um, I don't know how old you are. I'm 40. So we're probably yeah. 30, 36. 36. Okay. But, you know, similar enough in like the, yeah. the generation. So I listened to that and it just reminds me, like, like it could have been any metalcore band that grew up, that I came up with. Right. The, you know, sure. I felt a little poison the well, mm-hmm. 
heard a little, you know, kind of that Asley dying type type riffing. And uh, so were you like a, a hardcore kid? Well, it's funny. Yeah, I, I was talking about this podcast um, with, with, with Crown and um, mentioned God forbid. And it was like, I remember seeing you guys at the Underworld with Stamping Ground. Uh, yeah. God knows how long ago that was. But, you know, was, that was always the scene that I kind of grew up in. It was always going to, you know, Boy Sets Fire, I used to play with, you know, those type of bands. And, um, American Nightmare, you know. So, yeah, I'd say I was a hardcore kid, but I still was listening to, like, At The Gates. Um, that, you know, I think I think that's more my the metal side of me, kind of. Was yeah. The hardcore, the hardcore is like the unity that I loved and playing with those type of bands. It was like a every weekend it was like hanging out with your friends, but it was, you know, it was a collective group. So Yeah, and you you can really hear that in, in Cry for Silence because there's stuff that could be a Black Dahlia murder song, and there's Perfect. stuff that almost seems like it could be uh a little more on the screamo kind of deftonesy type stuff. And it, it you know, it seems to kind of cover kind of all those bases. Oh, for sure, yeah. It was, it was, it was kind of like that point in my life where everything was coming in, and you know, you don't like Meshuggah was just coming into my brain, and uh, you know, cryptopsy, but like trying to get some of that stuff to to pass was because <laughs> I was getting into like the gotta be better, technical, technical, technical. But you know, there's that other part of me where it's just like simplicity is kind of you know Metallica kind of you know. Well, I think you have to, you know, that, that I, I totally um, identify with that perspective because I think in a way, as a guitar player, so much of underground metal is driven by musicianship and technicality. And, yeah. and but in a way, it's if you go down that rabbit hole and and really work on technique, really work on speed, really work on that kind of, I call it like athletic playing because it's it's very competitive, right? It's always like, <laughs> oh, I heard this Nevermore record and Jeff Loomis is doing this. He raised the bar. And then I heard this Necrophagist record and they're taking, you know, and so it's always this kind of thing of uh, this competition vibe. But I think it's kind of cool that you can learn that and go down that path. And then in a sense, once you start kind of, a, a little bit of that mentality is, is kind of immature. And then once you get a little older, you kind of, what I did is I almost unlearned it um, and then started focus on trying to, like you said, simplicity, songwriting. Yeah. But the thing is, if you at least you know that stuff, it's like a tool you have, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But if you don't know that stuff, it, there's a real kind of hard cap on what you physically can do. So I think there is, in many ways, there can be a benefit. Yeah. I mean, when I heard like, I mean, my dad got me into like Pink Floyd and those type of bands, and I didn't really take that in as a kid. I took in all the aggressive technical stuff, and I was playing classical guitar, and you know, I'd had melody from that, but I was very like, you know, I wanted to do the Whitney Diddley, you know. And then, you know, now it's like David Gilmore, just in one bending of one note, speaks more volumes than, you know, 32 notes crammed in the bar you know it's it's very oh yeah they're still good don't get me wrong but it's you know just the expressiveness of it is that's for me it's where i'm at you know now in my life i'm now kind of you know i'm not 
picking up the single coil fenders and sit at home, but it's more that direction for me, musical and more you know, song structures. And stuff. I just got my first Fender Strat over the, over last uh, summer, so I'm, I'm getting it. And it's all it's it reminds me of when I went I went to college only for one semester, and I, at the time I was an art major, and I had this really like tough teacher, and he was like, "All right, we're gonna learn." We're, basically, like go back to basics, learn how to draw a line. And I kind of yeah. realized I couldn't draw a line. <laughs> and to me now, the metaphor for guitar playing is just like David Gilmore, just pick up a guitar, hit a, you know, kind of, you know, higher note, bend it, do some vibrato. Yeah. But it did, it took me 20 years to realize how just doing that well is kind of the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And when you hear, you know, like we talk about like the idea that tones in the hands. Yes, for sure. But it's, but the, but the real test is when you just see a guy pick a guitar and go, and he just hits that one note and you just yeah. see how it sings, how, like things I didn't notice till I was older about like bending in key mm-hmm. and you, and you start little, oh, there's certain guys, they bend out of key or I'll, I'll hear a, a, you know, an old live thing. I'm like, damn, I was just, just these little details, but you only get that from decluttering your playing. You don't, you, 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 yeah. you know, no, for sure. Uh, decluttering is a good thing. Uh, um, there are times where, you'd pick up a guitar and I'm just like, I'm just repeating the same crap that I do all the time. Yeah. And I'm not learning anything new. I'm, you know, staying stagnant in like my playing. And then that's only recently, well, not recently, lockdown, I was like, got the Paul Gilbert back out. I got like the old Alan Holdsworth REH video and just sitting there and just trying to bring back some like things that I never would normally do anymore and just to kind of hone it in a bit. And then, so I think you need to kind of clean yourself up a bit and, you know, push yourself a bit. And then, I, you know, got leading back into like Jeff Beck and stuff like that. And then the expressive side of it. So, you know, just kind of like going to the gym. <laughs> so, You're reminding me of all the things I need to be doing. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, lockdown was just like, oh, like I, try, I learned how to use Pro Tools a bit better. And I was just like, I'm going to make time of this. But it, it was... You have to. It's like prison right it's like you better come out being working out or reading a bunch of books you gotta you gotta, you gotta do something with that with that time yeah yeah sure i mean it's difficult for everyone but uh you know <laughs> try to lose weight try to do that kind of thing you know i feel like everyone you have you know i had it all like i gained weight i lost all the weight you know it's i've I've had i've had the full covid experience yeah yeah um so so the the band cry for silence um you did that for a while was the did the band ever get quote-unquote serious in terms of touring or um we kind of it was one of those things where the people that we had working for us or trying to help us get like we had man meetings with sanctuary music group and uh, nick and dave fawn they came to like my house which just have like a to jam and stuff and they said stuff that we needed to change for the band and some members didn't want to do it and me being me i was just like oh you idiots whatever you know and it was like kind of those things and it we just kind of dwindled you know like the passion left and other people wanted to do other things and you know and that's when i was kind of teching as well i started properly teching then so you know it just kind of grew apart and i was like well 
this isn't going anywhere. And who uh, who was the band that gave you your break as a guitar tech? Uh, uh, sick. I did a lot of stuff with Sick at the beginning. Um, uh, architects. Um, Bankle busted. There's a guitarist called Charlie Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, then he went and did a side project, Bite Star. So you know, it was kind of I joined in at a good. It wasn't like too much being in the back of a band with you know 20 people that was still getting into decent touring. So. And then it just kind of blossomed from there, really. Then, what do you think uh, makes a good tech, or, or actually, let me let me re- rephrase that. I'll actually make a statement first. I I think people don't probably a lot of people who are who are not totally connected to the industry don't understand how that relationship between being in a band and being mm-hmm. a tech, how there's a lot of fluidity that a lot of people go back in between those kind of roles even people in uh bigger bands tech when they're not doing it because a it's just you know to have you know some financial security b some just they just love being on the road they love the lifestyle um and you know so what do you think about yourself that made you kind of connect to that as you know a, a profession I'd always been taking stuff apart at home and repairing my own things. So that was definitely the the main inspiration behind it. But the, it was the, I mean, it was like working with friends, doing music. It meant I could play a guitar every day, get paid for it. And that was it. It was, and it was, I mean, it was fun. And I worked really hard to do it. I'd always go above and beyond like, if another band that couldn't afford the tech, I'd like put a brand new bone knot on one of their guitars or I'd fix one of their amps. You know what I mean? It was like, for me, it was fun. It wasn't like you've been on tours where the headlining band or whatever that they got some crew guys that are just like, all right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's those arrogant. I've always, I've always said like people always, a very common question you get is, so have you had any nightmare stories about bands being dicks? And it's like, it's rarely a band. It's usually, if someone's going to be a dick to, it's usually a crew guy. Sure. Uh, and, and that's definitely not to kind of, de- you know, denigrate the entire profession. Right. Right. I just think in, in some degrees, when you have a tour manager, for example, part of their job is being the bad guy. Yeah. So for example, you might have a band who doesn't want to be confrontational with another band. So they'll mm. kind of just ask the TM to do the dirty work, and then the and yep. then the band will be like, man, that's the, he said that. Wow! <laughs> when when it, it actually came from them, but they want some kind of buffer so that they can kind of play nice. And listen, it it is what it is. It, the, um, touring, especially in the the rock and in hard rock and metal world, which is often like packaged tours, mm. it's very uh, hierarchy based. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of kind of rules and, and written rules and unspoken rules to that yeah. kind of figuring that out. And, um, you know, and I've, you know, I definitely could, could mention a few things, but a lot of it's probably not worth mentioning. Yeah. yeah but my story bank is pretty, <laughs> pretty good. I, I, everyone's always said, Oh, you should write a book one day. I was like, yeah, but I'll probably get sued. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you gotta listen, you write the, you write the memoir when you're a little older 
when you you know you got enough in the bank when you when you when you truly don't give a fuck and you don't really <laughs> just change people's names and it'll still be funny stories. It could it 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 it, it could work. Um, but vice versa. Yeah, I you know and another element that I I think maybe people outside the industry don't understand as well is despite all those maybe bad experiences, we tend you know people don't realize that guys and bands end up becoming just as close with people in the crew yeah. as the other band. And some bands, I know their crew members better than I know the band because usually my, most of my life, I haven't had a tech. I'm putting my own gear on stage. And yeah. so I'm seeing the techs every day and, and they're usually some of the nicest people. And, and, you know, like you said, guys like you who go above and beyond to help out bands who maybe don't have resources. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, my tech, uh, Darren Sanders, I mean, he shout was- out, Shout out Darren. Yeah, Bubs, he's like, you know, I love that guy. He's literally one of my best friends in the world, probably my best friend in the world. You know, I love everything to do with that dude. And always positive, always happy. If you, if you, like you said, you, you know Bubs, and everyone knows Bubs. Yeah. And whenever Bubs walks into a room or on tour, everyone's just smiling, you know? And that's the thing. It's, there's good people out there. And, uh, you know, someone like him as well. Like, when I started working for Mastodon, you know, it was, it's a family. It was like, uh, everyone was, you know, there was no uh, weird stuff, you know, it was, it was a close knit group. You know? Yeah. Well, some, some bands have a, there's like a distinct division between band and crew and they like to keep certain boundaries up, which is listen at their discretion. Right. I mean, every, sure. everyone yeah. can run their kind of, uh, environment how they want to, but then you get with some band environments where it's, all for one, one for all. And there's, uh, and those are, you know, I, I enjoy being around those, those environments personally. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely worked with big bands that are like, <laughs> you know, don't talk to that person, just hand them their gear. Me being me, it's like, I have to ask questions to people. Otherwise I can't do my job properly. No. So, you know, I got reprimanded once for working with someone and they, I went in the dressing room and asked them a question about their gear and, the guy was like, oh, uh, look, just acting weird. And I was just like, this. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, I don't, I don't like that because I feel like, especially if you're in a big band, you kind of, it's almost like working for a corporation, right? Um, mm. And can you imagine working at an office where it's like, don't talk to the boss. I'm like, well, well, I think that's part of, we kind of have to talk to each other to, <laughs> we kind of have to talk to each other to figure some of this stuff out. So uh, I feel that that just seems really unproductive because in a way they're not helping you to help them. Yeah. You know, and that just, uh, that's where the, I don't know. I mean, I talk a lot in the show about the difference between being a musician and being a rock star. Yeah. And being, you know, there's playing the rock star, right? There's people who kind of have a, a, you know, a very realistic uh, understanding of who they are. Yeah. You kind of have to be when they get on stage or be that other person. There's some people where the the kind of the avatar, the ego has taken over and they've become the character. And there's no kind of delineation between those those two things. And and in in many ways, uh, this is probably something you and I can probably relate to on each other, where you've been in one position mm. and then all of a sudden you ascend to another position and you almost you see how 
either a that could fuck with you change yeah. you treat other people different but even more importantly you start to learn how people treat you differently exactly you know and it, and it gives you some i, I just think it gives you great perspective it does uh, i mean i'm always uh, on stage during the day i get this is with slipknot and i get there I'm always with the techs. I always like to listen to the show at front of house the night before. I like to, you know, I like to see what could be improved on, if there's anything, you know what I mean? Like little things like that. But it's also seeing the crew every day and seeing how their days are doing and that kind of camaraderie, which is what I miss a, a bit from the, you know, the tech inside of it and things like that. Because, you know, when I'm on stage with, with Slipknot, it's the best experience. It's incredible. But, you know, there's more to my day as well. And it's... Um, you know, the way that we all rule out, it's a big family and it's, you know, there's that kind of fun to it and that respect for everybody that's there. And um, I've worked for bands where it's been not like that. And I would never, I'd hate for, you know, for anyone to be on that receiving end, you know what I mean? So I myself will never, you know, they're sure there's a time where I'm like, fuck, I need, I don't know, an Advil or something like that. Someone go and get it for me, please. But normally I'll just go and get it myself, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Like if something went wrong with a bass on stage or a string broke or something like that, I just walk around, grab another bass, put it on and go back. Doesn't matter, you know? There's, there's worse things that are going on in the world, you know? So. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts? Or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts. Thank you. Well, I think the funny thing is for that is like, you know, I don't, part of me doesn't understand why people would go overboard with that stuff on tour because like once the tour is over, it's not like you have a, a tech at home, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess unless you're really rich, maybe you have like butlers or, you know, housekeepers or something like that. So maybe, I, maybe I'm over, over speaking my bounds, but it's like, 
you well, know, the, yeah. Sorry, I was with my friend of mine just to interrupt. Um, he got a job with Ronnie Wood, and he was like, they weren't even playing, like Stones weren't even playing, and uh, he just got employed just to buy gear and set it up in his house. <laughs> that was it. Listen, I was like, what, what a job, man. That's a different kind of rich, that, that Rolling yeah. Stones money. Yeah. But, you know, fair play. I mean, he went and got to pick out some nice tellies and a nice amp and just set it up in his house. And I think they had dinner and then off he went. <laughs> I, I uh, listened to Keith Richards' book on on tape. It was great. But he, what Keith Richards does is, you know how you get a new guitar and it just, you know, it's not like worn in yet. It, you, know, you know, sometimes a guitar, it needs, you know, to kind of just that feel. So he, anytime he gets a new guitar, he like gives it to one of his friends to play for like, yeah. X amount of time to kind of warm warm it up. That's you know he probably and like I said he he's got that fuck you money too. So maybe he's even paying his friends. Hey, yeah. <laughs> take my guitar, this brand new, yeah, amazing thing. <laughs> nah, that's true. I mean that's another that's another level, but exactly. I'm, I'm happy at this level. <laughs> Mastodon, we got to talk a little bit about working. Yeah. You specifically worked for Brent Heim, yeah. which is uh. I feel like everyone knows Brent is, he's an icon. He is, lives life by its own rules. The, the stories I've heard about what he, he did on OzFest. I mean, I don't know if anyone should, 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 should know about this. What, what was it like working for Brent? Uh, me and Brent are very close. Good friend of mine. Um, at the beginning, when I first started working for him, it was like two dudes that were just like... <laughs> Really? My, well, my personality and his personality were just too like like that. But it was, I think it was only a couple of weeks and we kind of, we drank it out and we talked and he kind of knew who I was and knew what I was about. And, you know, we just was like, ever since then, it was just great. And I think it was a mutual respect for each other. And, you know, I'd heard so many nightmares about previous texts and stuff like that. And with him, I just, you know, it was just a, a little, you know, little period at the beginning, of, and it wasn't bad. It was just, I, you know, my, I'm a personality. He's a personality. So it's two personalities together, and uh, you know, that was it. It was, it was fun, and you know, I miss working for him. It was, you know, it was got one of my favorite bands. You know, to get to listen to him every day was amazing. He's a fucking phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was just good fun, and it was. Getting him into like fancy rigs and getting him in like trying to get his dream in his head of what he wanted. So like redoing all his gear was fun for me and just getting him in that world. Um, you know, and then when we were done, it was um, you know, it was like that was a kind of you know, slipknot or just I was auditioning for slipknot man. So it was like a whole new weird thing for me because I was just like oh, I've just spent the last 12 years teching and now I'm like shit <laughs> yeah. go back into this other world again and yeah so you you know you you came up as a guitar player and like I said you're playing you have a pretty in-depth technical background you know theory you're working on all these all these crazy leads but now you have this opportunity to play bass had you had you played bass much before I did. I had a bass at home that I always just kind of 
flopped around. I was like, yeah, every now and then playing. And because playing classical guitar, my finger, I was always playing finger style at home. I never really used a pick. But um, one of my uh, closest friends, James Leach, uh, bass player in Sick, yep. I'd always, um, you know, looked up to him as a bass player and whenever he'd come round and I'd always get him to show me stuff. And, you know, him showing me stuff is not like, dun, 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 you know, it's like, <laughs> so I'd always kind of, you know, the, you know, when I picked up the bass properly and, you know, I was just like, I'm going to do this, I've got to go all in and, you know, all out. So it was Jason Newstead kind of down picking everything, you know, that kind of, that's where I wanted to, to go with bass. I was just like, I can't, you know, some dudes, they pick up the bass and they're just ever so light, but they're just, they're just there to hold the floor. But I was like, this needs to be in your face. So I suppose at home, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, yeah, I was, I'd already had a thought of how I would be as a bass player, you know what I mean? So when the opportunity arose, it was just like, okay, well, I didn't think there was much of a transition, if you know what I mean, uh, into like going, oh, right, well, now I've got to play like this. So. Yeah, so you had a you had a more of a background. Well, I guess not so ironically, I was playing bass for Unearth, and oh, nice. we hung out. Do you, do you remember this? When we hung out, we went to this, We so we played the Underworld, and oh, we went to the bar, didn't we? On the <laughs> Irish pub. That's it, on the corner. It was like packed on like a Monday, and there was like it was a kind of older crowd. It was. Yeah. I remember, but I remember like hanging out with you then. But I'm trying. Like, did we hang out before then, or was it that's when we met? I can't remember. I think because you know Adam Segear. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like we've met before. We've bumped into each other before. Yeah. And then obviously I'd seen God forbid play, but. Then it was, you know, I didn't know you and you guys then. So, I, yeah, I think it was, uh, that was like probably hanging out, I'd say, yeah. It was a, it was a very memorable night, I remember. <laughs> I remember having a real good time. Uh, but, yeah, but I, I like you, yeah. I, was, I was playing bass. But I'm, I'll say this, I'm a guitar player. Yeah. Can play bass for a band like that, but I definitely don't consider myself uh, a bass player. How do you... Is, is does that identity even matter for you or you're just like i'm a musician i can kind of do whatever I, yeah it's a weird one because it's you know obviously i play bass in slipknot it's a you know slipknot you know and but you know paul was uh, a guitar player mm. he played bass as well you know and that's something that you know is mentioned to me and i don't see it as being like i'm a dedicated whatever, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to forget my past or what I did and what I've learned. So um, I don't think me playing guitar or practicing guitar affects anything that I would do in Slipknot. So, you know, but what it has done is made me become a more accomplished bass player. I mean, when I first started, it was like, I think the main thing was getting on stage and playing for two hours and running around and, you know, having all that, stuff on you <laughs> you know it was like that was like the big eye opener you know no matter how many rehearsals you did it was the, the first gig was fifty thousand people you know it was and they'd all come to see this band that i'm playing bass in so it was like, you know it's a big eye opener for me and ever since then it just i was like right this is you know so i take it seriously very seriously you know? well i mean 
the funny thing is, you know, I've had the opportunity to tour with Slipknot uh, several times, and that's the word I would use to describe their philosophy and demeanor, how they approach the band, more so than probably any metal band I've been around, maybe with the exception of Slayer, mm-hmm. um, where it, I, I remember we did OzFest 04 with them, and they were doing the second stage with it, um, and... And obviously they didn't have to do the second stage. They wanted to do the second stage. And it was intimidating to be around them, like kind of right before they went on. Like it was never situations like you where you, you know, a lot of times you got a dudes getting ready to go up. Hey man, have have a good show. You didn't want to, you're like it it looked like a football team or something. Getting ready to go out there and like tear the heads off of what, what what was going on. And then and then obviously being a fan, reading interviews, knowing the guys, uh, there is a level of, uh, in a sense, like Slipknot seems like a cause, mm. right? It seems like almost like a here's this group of radicals <laughs> who are yeah. on this mission that seems like bigger than themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, the, so you use the word, word, word seriously. I mean, did you kind of have a, a comprehension of that during this, like uh, when the, the process of auditioning or understanding, like what did like, w- did they demand that type of focus or, or uh, thought process with how the, the, well, that was just, it was literally when I got the, the call I and mean, Jim, Jim asked me to audition and it was, I mean, I've said this story before. So if it kind of, changes slightly i do apologize but i, don't, I know you have said this or i don't know the story at all so I just... uh, it was just you know jim uh, jim you know asked me to audition and he's asked for a certain amount of songs i went on buff and beyond got more uh, i didn't have a bass with me i was living in atlanta at the time so i asked troy to give me a bass uh you know flew over sat up every night just you know just looking at every video that paul ever had or trying to listen to the songs and you know and then I just went over there and but you know this comes back down to like me and my personality that I was talking about earlier with with um with Brent and stuff it's that I can't go and be like not some not myself you know so when I got there like like the amp sounded terrible and I was like this wasn't what I would want to play through and I don't think I would have given my best audition unless things had changed so instantly I get there, I'm like, I need new amp, need new this. And people are just like, fuck is this going <laughs> <laughs> And like new amp came in from like SIR, wherever it is. And I said, I'm like, yeah, there we go. I was like, I can't hear the kick drums. And some wedges came in and I got some wedges. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And that was it. I was just like pumped. I was like, got to just give it my all, you know. And it was that mentality, you know, it was just fucking go for it. So... Were were they looking at a lot of people, or was it a pretty small? I still, yeah, they had a bunch of people in the in mind. Um, I think I was probably the last person, so I think I was like the the last card. But don't hold me on that one. But I'm pretty sure I was there. Ever since the audition, I was. They kept me around, stayed at the house with everyone, and yeah. How, I, yeah sorry, how did it even come up to reach out to you? Because, like I said, I mean. Listen, I'm, I'm, we're going, battles going through situations similar where we're yeah. replacing a member and every, every one of those environments is, is very different. And I think 
a lot of bands, you have to ask yourself that question, right? Do you want a known quantity? Do you want to, hey, we need we need another star to come in here? Or, hey, you know, sometimes there's things that might be obvious to the band. Yeah. Maybe, you know, but the the fans might not even know who this this person is. So what, uh, how did they even approach you? Or what, what, what do you think made them even think that you might be good for the job? I mean, me and uh, Jim, me and Jim hung out on the All Hope Is Gone tour. Um, we were like back and forth in about guitars. And he was like, have you got a guitar out here? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, oh, do you want to have one of mine? So me and him had this like weird friendship. And I'd just show him like little licks and stuff and whatever. And it was like, we're just friends. Yeah. And then I'd see him on tours. And, you know, and, and I think it was just out of the blue. He was like, do you know any bass players? And I was like, for what? And he was like, the other one. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "What? You don't play bass?" And I was like, "Yeah, I play bass." <laughs> you know, and that's it. it was, and, I, and he was like, "All right, learn four songs, and then someone will get in contact with you and get you over here." So. Do you do you think you getting the gig was primarily about playing, or do you think it was about kind of your demeanor and your attitude and and all those other kind of intangible things? Um, I was confident that I could do. The job, you yeah. know. I was confident that I, my musical skill was going to be good enough to do it. I don't know if I would blend with the other members. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know, didn't know any of them that well, or any, you know, hardly really. So, you know, I, I think it must have been. I'd like to say like my work ethic of the way that I did it, and I think, you know. They could see some potential in me, maybe. I don't know. That's me talking about myself, which I don't like doing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, things are working out amazingly and it's just got stronger and stronger. So obviously, you know, I believe it was a, yeah, it, you know, it was meant to be, if you know what I mean, in that, in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing because essentially it, it was part of, a transitionary period, obviously, with Jay coming in as well. Yeah. In a sense, it was like Slipknot 2.0, right? Yeah. Uh, you had two very key members not in the band, and and that's difficult for any any group, of course. Sure. And, and for them, it, it seemed fairly seamless uh, because it it, from my perspective. Every time they put out a record, that it, it just this just seems like like it never feels like a small thing. It always feels important. It always feels like okay, this band went to the brink to bring this kind of thing, and they're always making something. And they're they're a band that's gotten even more artistic. Yeah, as they've gone on, and they've they've kind of, in my opinion, gone away from. I don't, maybe that's not even the way to better to put it, but they focused more on their vision and not trying to kind of fit into any boxes or write songs for radio or any of that shit. The, the stuff keeps getting more weird and more progressive and more uh, interesting in, 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 yeah. in many ways. So were you there before the band wrote and put together the great chapters or door or like kind of you were part of that as it was kind of happening? I kind of turned up as it was um, at the end of the arrangements if you know what I'm saying. So it was mainly just get there, learn the parts. <clears throat> I added a few things here and there. Um, just I thought would sound cool. And, and that was it for that. Um, 
but you know, and there was so much going on. It was, you know, it, was, it wasn't just me. You know, it was a, it was a lot going on. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was like, there you go, sit in a corner, learn these things. And I was like, hey, I've got this, I've got that. And then, oh, okay, cool, try that, try it out. Yeah. So for me, it was like, it was kind of like going to, you know, going to school again, you know, and it was like, and because I was around people, that gym was, was there, but and I didn't know anyone really. So it was very, you know, I didn't know the drummer, I didn't know. So it was very kind of like treading, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it must be an interesting thing because, there's, it's a big band. It's it's not yeah. just so so, and I think the hardest part about dealing with any organization, uh, especially the bigger it gets, is is dealing with the personalities more so than than doing the actual work because you need that chemistry right just to get the job done. And bands, yeah. I, I always say this, man, chemistry amongst bands takes it takes time, yeah, to to develop to gel. It's obviously great when if you have a, a certain core that's been there for a certain amount of time, but you're talking about a whole new rhythm section. Yeah. yeah. That's foundational uh, yeah. for, for any, any of any of that to, to work. It seems this is uh, like, I'm, I'm kind of just speculating here that they're pretty old school in their approach. Is everything still kind of getting in a room and playing or are they sometimes getting in front of the, the pro tools and kind of looking at the, the songs from that perspective as well? No, Great Tractor was us sitting around with Jay in the centre and, you know, this clown and, you know, everyone's there and we're just working out parts. So it was it was definitely like that. And the same with We Are Not Your Kind. It was us, you know, the string section and Jay. And, you know, we had Greg Fiddleman all the time and he was just, you know, try this, try this, do this, you know. But we had demo forms that we'd already done and, you know, I was a lot more involved on Weird Not Your Kind. So for me, that was a new avenue. Um, and, you know, and that was it. It was, it, it was fun doing it. It was fun to go and have that experience of being like, well, right, let's try this, let's do this. You know? So I heard a rumor that Nero Forte was your song you brought in. Is that, is, is that, is that the truth? Uh, I, it, is a, it started from me and the clown. Um, cadence and it kind of blossomed from there you know and then obviously it gets thrown in through the, the slipknot ringer and then everyone has their touch so you know well it's it's my favorite song on the album and it seems to be the one like all my friends were like when we got that i was like yo you hear that song near near 14 <laughs> and then you also have a a credit on unsainted as well uh-huh. so that must be pretty amazing to get to feel kind of a, contributing especially to songs that be that became video tracks or singles or whatever you want to kind of kind of call them so it seems like they're pretty open to uh some input that it when it's relevant yeah i mean but it's like everything it's it's a growing thing you know and i you know i just love music i love playing music and to get to write music is my my thing you know or to be a part of something that you can listen to it and go wow here you go that's something i you know I've done, but it's it's when everybody works together and it's when everybody combines, that's when you get strength, I think, in song nine. And I agree. Yeah, you get you know. So yeah, it's it's um I just, yeah, just love playing music, love writing music, love 
jamming with people. And I think I miss that a lot, you know, and to be able to give the opportunity to do it again was, you know, real, real big thing for me. So, yeah, so I want to go back to what you said before about your first show yeah. and dealing with all the gear and the two hours and 50,000 people. I mean, I mean, I don't think I've, you know, with any of my heavier bands, I don't think I've done a two-hour set. Even when, I was, even when I was filming for Lamb of God, I think the headlining set was like an hour and a half. And yeah. Pretty rigorous and, you know, technical music, a lot of headbanging, pretty pretty yeah. heavy. So it's very physical. Um, how did you feel after that that two-hour set? Did it, did it, <laughs> did you feel manageable? Yeah, I think I, I felt like, a, I don't know, like a, a wet towel at the end of it. I was just like, whoa, that was, well, now we got to go on tour and do this for two months, you know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was an eye-opener and it made me realise that, you know, that no matter what you think the situation is, it's not, it's, you know, some people be like, oh, and it's easy getting on stage and doing that. It's easy doing that. It's like, it really isn't. It really is uh, mental and you've just got so much going through your head and, Oh, the monitor's right. Is this right? Is this going on? And then, like, well, if I stop playing and I've got, a good, you know what I mean, it's like, oh, so many factors. It's a mentally challenging, uh, out, you know, thing. And especially with playing in front of so many people, that one, I don't want people to go, well, that was terrible. You know, I don't want to let down Slipknot fans. I don't want them to think that this is some, you know, what the hell is this? So, you know, I, I think there's just a lot going through a brain and you do a show like that well from what i've seen i mean slipknot came out the gate as kind of hot or on fires any band we can we, we can think of um in the last 20 years but i get the impression that the band is getting bigger um and part of that so we did grass prop mm -hmm. in, in 2019 and and i watched as many bands as I could that day. Cause I mean, grass pop is so, it's such, great. such a great festival. So many great bands. And I'm, I'm forever a fan. I don't care as long as I'm doing this. I never want to feel jaded or, you know, I, I, I feel that it's an amazing thing to go. People pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to these things Yeah, I'm here. I'm paid to be here and mm -hmm. I'm having a great time. So it's, it's, and that I just, I just loved it. So, but I remember watching you guys and how crazy people were going is like was so much more intense than every other band. And in a way that, I mean, Slipknot has always had crazy shows. I mean, from, 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 from the get go, but there's just something else there. Yeah. And then you see the production is way crazier than it's ever been. There's more pyro. There's uh, seems like the, the costumes are getting more elaborate. Um, just every, every level of it just seems to be growing and growing. Mm -hmm. And, and growing i mean is that intensity from from the crowd is it is it palpable or do you, do you feel connected to it like to, you know because it's in a weird way like there's so many band members you're wearing a mask you're almost like you're there but but it's like it, do you feel disembodied from that or does it feel like you're a part of it no i mean you know when i see obviously i, I wear glasses and um Sometimes I can't see as far <laughs> people, but you know I see all no, con no contacts. I can't. No, nah, with all the makeup on, I just 
freaks me out. Just knowing my luck, it'll all get wedged at the back and I'll be on stage like that. You know, I see kids at the front and just it's just a different fan. You know, I've I've been on stage teching and I've seen many fan bases, you know, out front. And the Slipknot fan base is just not the same as anyone else. It's a different, it's a different beast. It's like they're there, they mean it, you know. They, yeah. I'm saying it's like a religion almost. Hundred percent, definitely, definitely. And especially you know, like uh, South America and stuff. It's like you know, barrier broke one time, and it's just, you know what I mean, it's like God, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's but it, you're like it, it's, I'm like I think there's a big giant pit and it's like no there's pits everywhere in the whole like big outdoor place and i'm just like wow it's crazy and to get to see it and, and experience it is something that's so there was a funny thing about how your identity was found out like a music yeah. video with your your tattoos and uh how has it been for you just making that transition from being someone who was fairly anonymous. I mean, obviously people within the metal scene and, and P other bands and, you know, obviously you've, you've worked with a few bands and had, had, a, had a few things going. How has it been for you kind of, in a sense, really becoming famous overnight? Um, is, is that been cool? Are you, can you, do people recognize you? Are you, can, because you wear a mask and stuff, do you kind of have uh -huh. some between that? I don't get it much, and I don't, you know, I, the other day, I, I'm in, currently in Iowa at the moment, and I was in the supermarket, and I, I got up to some guys, like, who's working, and I was like, hey, um, where can I find the chilies? And he was like, they're over there. He goes, oh, by the way, I love your band, and you're awesome. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. And, you know, I mean, it's just like random supermarket or grocery store in the middle of Iowa somewhere. So, you know, for me, it was like, I don't get that often, but it was funny that like it happens. I never get it at home where I live. <laughs> I, I could go anywhere and like nothing, no one will say anything. So, but you know, it's funny the moment I'm in Iowa, someone goes, "Oh hi." <laughs> yeah. What about behind the scenes? Did you start hearing from like people you went to school with? People like did people come out of the the woodwork like, "Hey man, I miss you. Let's hang out." All of a sudden, no, I don't. I didn't really. I think that's probably just because who I am. Yeah. Maybe that probably put a few people off that to re like would reach out like that. I've always been, I've always had quite a small friendship group and stuff like that. You know, some people have gone like congratulations and stuff like that, but I've never had any like, you know, the the you know the the ones that. Are, <laughs> let's oh, hey, buddy, let's go, let's go get a drink now. It's like, no. Well, that's that's cool. It's, it seems like in, it, to some degrees you kind of get the best of both worlds in that. In, in that regard, getting to perform with, with uh, such a high level band, but then also not get, have people on you all the time. I think that's that's amazing. And you know, one thing I've always, that stood out to me about the band uh, is how cool they've always been. I mean, we, we met the guys um, in 2001 and they came out to a show in Iowa. Mm. God forbid, Shadows Fall and Amen. And they were just embraced us from day one and were awesome mm. from day one. And part of the reason why I think that is, is the masks. Like, I feel like, you know, if you're David Bowie or some shit, right? Or you're, yeah. you know, David Lee Roth, really any rock star named David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave Mustaine, got to throw him in there. Yeah. You know, you're famous. You're, or you're the guy, you're the important person. But I, 
I do think it gives them that layer of distance between understanding that I don't know there there's a amount there's they're able to kind of reclaim their own personhood. Okay, yeah, I, I, I could say that, yeah. Um, which, yeah, which I which which I think helps keep them sane, especially as big as they got as quickly as as big as they got. One more question about kind of just going back a little about the masks. Yeah. You, do you get to have any hand in designing your own mask or is that all clown? Um, the first, um, the f- first point five, um, I was just given a generic mask that me and Jay shared. I think he has some slight differences on his just so that we weren't, you know, exactly the same. Um, and then after that, it kind of, you know, they could see that, maybe there's a future with me so there's i was allowed to like modify it slightly and then on we are not your kind it was uh me and a guy richie beckett he does like metallica's artwork and um mastodon and stuff like that incredible artist i kind of gave him some ideas he kind of fired them back and forth and then that was the first time that you know i did something that was i'm not a drawer i can't draw so it was you know I could I could have handed it something really bad and got something really bad back. So at least someone could help me out, put me in the right direction. Yeah, I so I have this kind of theory about bands in, in masks where I'm like, really, the only band that I'm down with masks is Slipknot. And here's mm. why. Because I I feel like there's, you know, it's it's this thing once you for me at least, like you know, I was in this underground metal scene, and then now with Bad Wolves, we're in this kind of like mainstream rock world. Mm. And when you're kind of in that world, you notice it's so much more focus is put on vocalists and like yeah. where, you know, and you're kind of uh, guitar players, things like that, who are like the stars in metal, but in the rock world, you're almost seen as like background players. Okay, I see that. So I get, uh, sometimes I get a little nervous when I see, like I said, this is all bands not count, uh, that are not Slipknot. Yeah. Are putting dudes in masks, it becomes about like, hey man, just be in the back, be anonymous, you know? And I'm like, so I always get skeptical, like, cause uh, in this moment would do that with like newer members because they had, uh, at least they, some guys left. So they had more like hired guys. Yeah. Corn did that when head left, like whoever was playing guitar would have to have a mask on. And then he like, ghost does that. It's like, yo, you're, you are literally a nameless ghoul. You only (laughs) got a name. I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, so it's kind of like like black comedians are like yo don't wear don't put on don't go and dress in a movie don't dress in drag i'm telling motherfuckers like unless it's slipped out don't put on a mask they're trying to it's a they're trying to trick you all right <laughs> <laughs> one of my little conspiracy theories you know over here i'm uh you yeah. know watch around he's like yo man you need to be in make sure they know you i'm like yo can you be with a mask Mm-mm. my face gonna be on the front right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I still find it funny that you know when I, when I look at like all the different creations that I've done of of mine and like modifying them and stuff like that, and you know, you get kids that are like, oh, that looks shit, or that that looks great. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like I designed something that I like, and it's something that you know I'm proud to stick it on my face. So at the end of the day, it's you know. I feel like if you're like in a band like like you mentioned uh, in this moment or something like that, where they do have revolving doors or something like that, and they need to keep someone off 
to the side a little bit. I mean, does it matter or would it matter? You well, know? I think it. I just think it depends on on the job. You know, and sometimes <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you're getting paid to do it, and that's what they ask that you're you're asked to. Sure. It's their it's their prerogative if they're yeah. You know, put the you know, but I remember I had Clint Lowry from Seven Dust on, and he filled in for corn and they made him wear a mask. I'm like, yo, that's Clint Lowry. Yeah. Oh, Clint Lowry to put on fucking mask. You, you, you get Clint Lowry cause he's Clint Lowry. Like yeah, exactly, yeah. there's certain people, you know, you can put on your own mask, like Buckethead He's like, I came, I bought my own mask. Okay. Yeah. I got this bucket at the store. So, <laughs> but yeah, of course it, listen, I think for a lot of people, if you just get an opportunity to play with a bigger act and you're, trying to get experience and you're, you know, like I say, you just, at the end of the day, there's not many of these jobs. No, there's not. No. Playing in uh, a marquee band. There's just not that many of them uh, that are, you know, where it's actually a real living. And, and, and some of the time, even for bigger bands, I mean, you, you make your living on when you're on the road and then you're off the road, you got to go do something sure. else to make yeah, it. Sure. Even, you know, I think people probably have a very skewed perspective of how much they think these artists make. It's not, you know, it's so expensive to tour. Uh, it's even if the band is technically making a lot of money, they're yeah. spending most of that money on yeah. the tour expenses. Yeah, it does. And, it, you know, when you think back about, uh, you know, what it was like touring where you're trying to pay 150 pounds to put $150 to put in a tank. And that is literally the money, and then everyone's eating, sharing Burger King or something like that at a service station. It's, do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> if you up the scale, it really probably is. It's probably the same. You know what I mean? It's like the cost for running a bus, the cost for this, the cost for that, the cost for production, the crew. You know, it's. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's the same 150 quid. For the- Which is why, like, a lot of bands don't realize that. A lot of people probably don't realize that. For a lot of these bands, the crew members make more than the band. In a lot yeah. of in in, in many in instances, uh, <laughs> uh, and well, I and so and deservedly so in ma- in many cases. Uh, <laughs> I mean, especially if you're like um, that kind of level where it's you're not fully an arena band, or you're not. Do you know what I mean that kind of like two thousand, three thousand cap? Yeah. I think yeah. definitely around there, you know. A crew guy still needs to get paid every day, and if you're you're a part of the band, it's not you know you you've only got like one bus and you've got like you're sharing stuff. Sure, sometimes crew guys are earning more money than people I think at that level. But, yeah, but right. then again, you know it, who knows? <laughs> it could be uh, it could be a secret rich guy in the band. You know, you know. So. Hey, you never you never know. We 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 really got to do what we got to do. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are, by the way, we, we, we kind of skipped past your other band, Crocodile. Oh, yeah. With a, with a couple of guys from Sick, which came out uh, 2014. I was listening to the record. Very cool album. Um, and, but the band didn't get to, I, I was watching some footage uh, from Bloodstock. Crocodile, I guess, I guess fairly short-lived band, but very, very cool project. Well, um, and by the way, so, this is I'll, I'll put in the bad transition category for the for the X Man, yeah. but I, you know, sometimes, yeah. but I, I didn't I don't want to go, you know, I, I want to let people know that you were doing really cool stuff. Well, thank you. Before Slipknot, and that you were involved, and not just make it about that because I think it's 
we got to talk about the, the, the whole thing. So how did that project come together? And, um, you know, just how is it done forever? Maybe do something again? Or what, what do you think? It was, um, so uh, Lags uh, from Gallows, uh, you had a couple of guys from Sixth, uh, Dan P. Carter, who does Radio One Rock Show, um, and Simon, um, who was in a band from Leeds, the um, Tangaroa, who, when I was in Cry for Silence, I'd always watch them play or they'd play with us, and I'd just be like, oh, they're so heavy. You know, I was like, I want to be in a band like that. You know, so I remember just going like, we need a singer. I was like, there's this dude in Leeds, we we'll see if he'll do it. So, but it was a, the base, the basis of the band was we were all good friends. Let's do a band where everyone's good friends and maybe it will work really well. And, you know, we've did music and everyone comes from different backgrounds or whatever. Some are more technical, some are more whatever. And it was fun. It was actually what it was. It was just to do something fun. And we did the odd shows and we thought we were going to get some momentum. But then, you know, um, I went to doing Mastodon at the time. And then obviously the Slipknot thing then hit. And that was like, everyone was like, why are you not answering your phone? Why are you being so quiet? And it was like four months I disappeared off the face of the earth. And they were like, and I was like, guys, I can't do that show. Uh, I think it's Sonosphere or something. And I was like, can't play. I'm sorry, guys. And they were like, why? And I was like, well. <laughs> so, you know, it was, you know, I listened to the record recently, actually, because it's been a while. And I was like, you know, it was awesome. It was just something different from what I've done before. And, uh, you know. I know, yeah, it was fun. I, I, I personally left the band. They've got a new guy that replaced me. I don't know if they're doing much, but everyone's all got other projects. And yeah. obviously, obviously, Corona. So, Well, I will implore everyone that, that's listening to this to check it out. The record's called, is it Nash, Nakash? Nakash? Nakash, right? Nash. okay. I think so. <laughs> no one knows. I don't know. I'm the I'm worst. Like I've, I've got like Metallica tattoos on me, and I still don't know the lyrics to half their songs. So you know me. I'm just don't worry, egregious. I'm a terrible lyricist on that point. Of there, well, well, and there is another crocodile from the '60s, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, they won't mind. <laughs> Listen, you could do. See, I I had this concept to name to start a cover band and mm. call it Arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the best name for 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 like a, a you know like a I don't know some Steel Panther type band or something just arrogant yeah. arrogant the great great band name but there is a band from like the seventies or something called Arrogance but I guess if a band is defunct right can you can you pick up the pieces if they don't have that trademark I don't know I guess you can I don't know I mean it's a, it's a tough one they never reached out and I think that you know at the end of the day maybe they were like. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they were really good as well. I listened to some of their stuff, which quite, but it wasn't like I think it was we'd already the, the train had already set sail, and then it was like someone was like, By the way, there's a bank called Crocodile, and I was like, I don't think I'm like, but here's what's so weird about that. I imagine you guys based the band name off the drug, the weird drug for yeah, yeah. like melting people's faces, and yeah. Who knows where the fuck they got the name from? They probably just were like, let's write this word in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think it was about that. I was like, oh, that's pretty savage. But it also kind of sounds a bit, you know, that kind of prog rocky kind of, you know. 
Hey man, it was, this, it was the age of, of psychedelic rock. All right. They were, people were experimenting with all kinds of things. Yeah. So it, so I've, there are rumors going around that there's a new Slipknot record coming. Is that uh, accurate? Uh, I, there's stuff being done. But I, you know, I'm not in the, that's... Not for you to say. That's not my uh, job. Right on. <laughs> well, listen, I'm... This whole time period is kind of... Uh, so every band is probably working on a record. I would imagine. Yeah. To, to some degree... Because what what the fuck else are we gonna do, right? No, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a good time to be creative. I mean, so, so did um, I know our tour got canceled. We were all doing the amphitheater kind of tours. You guys had the run with Under Oath and Day to Remember. I believe so. Yeah. What arms is that tour canceled or did it get postponed or do, do we know the? I I don't know either about that one. Um, I presume everything will kind of. Yeah. I, I think it's just stuff's changing all the time. I mean, but you know, being from England as well, it's there's always, you know, one minute I look at the news and it's like, oh yeah, coronavirus is it's going, it's now like everything's great, we're gonna start opening everything up. And then all of a sudden it's like the worst it's ever been in Europe, you know. So it's just like I, mean, I don't know. I can't say I couldn't predict anything. I know as much as yeah. <laughs> governments know, you know. Yeah, I listen, I, I just get the feeling that there's a lot of caution being taken because the promoters and the bands don't want to get in that steady thing of, of booking something and postponing it again or canceling it. I must be like a, I can't even think about the thinking and planning and it has to keep going every time that that has to, all right, got to do it again. Oh, we got, and then seeing who else has moved to that point as well. You know? Well, it looks like in the States stuff is going to, definitely gonna be happening in fall because yeah, pretty much everyone should i you know i'm fully vaccinated and everyone's mm. gonna be able to get i just read a statistic that one out of three americans has gotten at least one shot and i think in uk it's something like 40 percent. so i think yeah a couple of my friends have got it done um i'm waiting till i uh i'm moving around here in the states but when i'm at my final destination and i'm gonna have that all sorted so i you know because I know that there's a couple of vaccines where you get one and you've got to get it like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I, Actually, I, I don't want to be in that position where I'd have to move around. Yeah. And it's not safe. I don't think it's safe to be moving around anyway. So, Right on. Well, listen, I, I think things are going to happen. Maybe this, the summer touring will be kind of the, um, the lamb taking it in the chest. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think that's a phrase. I think I just came up with that and, and, it, it, it's a really bad phrasing. So I apologize to everyone who just heard that. <laughs> uh, sacrificial lamb. Sacrificial lamb, yeah. That's what I was <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a tough one. It's, I, 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 you know, there's a lot of people that are scared, and, but there's a lot of people that aren't scared about it. So I, it's hard to say. I mean, I think I've, everyone's done with watching YouTube. So I think people want to go to a gig and they want to go to a concert, you know? Not me. I was just watching <laughs> live at the Ritz, nineteen eighty-seven. Loving, I was loving it on YouTube. I just watched that new Gojira video on YouTube. I'm not doing. Oh, oh that's great song, great song. Uh, the, that's that thing. It's that, it's that time of the year where I'm just like, I'm, I'm waiting for either a Mastodon record or I'm waiting for a Gojira record. 
Yeah. And, and then I just heard Meshuggah about to do a new one as well. So I was just like, and that's the thing I love about Meshuggah. So many people just trying to get at them and then they just put a new album out and then they just go, see you later. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've always been about 20 years ahead of everyone. I, I still listen to the the first, you know, uh, well, it's not their first album, but they're, to me, the album that they became Meshuggah on, which was None. No, no, yeah. Like, this still sounds ahead of its time. I mean, the vocals are just so so radically different. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're they're. It's not fair. It's not fair. I just saw saw them not too long ago at the Will Turn, and it was just just go fuck. Like I want to say, go fuck yourself. I don't mean that. I'm saying it's myself. I'm gonna go fuck myself because you'll never be that heavy and that tight and everything. It's something else. It's like a. a I saw them at the Roundhouse once, and um, a good friend of mine, Biffin, was tour managing them. You must know Biffin. Oh, of course I know Biffin. Yeah, yeah. And I got there, and he got me a case of beer, and he just wrote my name on it and stuck it in front of the house, and I just sat there for like, like an hour and a half just going, what am I watching? Like, it's just unreal. That was only so the only similar story I have to that is um, I'm buddies with the Avenged Sevenfold guys, and uh, – mm they went to go see them at the in philly at the electric factory and they gave us our own dressing room and saved <laughs> a case of beer and I'm, oh, and I'm like and none of the opening bands had dressing rooms i'm like yes i'm i appreciate it but i feel wow wow <laughs> like, why that's is it cool man that's great they're great guys they're, they're great guys well listen to you man i'm i'm gonna let you go uh oh. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking your time. And like I said, you're doing all this cool stuff. You're in this giant band. You have a great history, but I still feel like not everyone knows about it. So if I can educate my audience on, on yourself, and even for me, this is like, I I'm learning. Uh, this is like very kind of, uh, it's, you know, scratching the itch of my own curiosity. Just, just having you on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, you know, we were saying earlier, like I'm, quite to myself in certain ways i'm not very this is me Ta-da! you know i'm just i'm still that dude that you know i like posting about guitars i like posting about my dog you know what i mean like i'm going, I'm going to the pub with my friends <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm just that's, yeah. i'm still that guy and I, i'm not gonna i can't try and be different you know so it's 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 yeah. all well, listen, yeah. brother, you have a great day, and uh, you know I'm sure everyone will be waiting with bated breath with the for the new Slipknot record or anything you guys are doing tour dates. We're all we're all looking forward to it, and hopefully you and I will see each other on yeah. tour at a festival or something sooner than later. Right? Yeah. Good luck with your band, and uh, I hope that's going well. So. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need it. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs good luck, right? Who who couldn't use a little more good luck? Well, you know, but you've got it. You got the band. You just well, no, no, no. I'm listen. I'm confident. I'm just saying. Just, oh, okay. I'm, I'm. I've had too many times in my life where I was feeling myself, and I was like, yeah. I was like "Man, I'm like you." Just like I got this is in the bag, and then yeah. every time you get, I I get too high on myself, it ends up blowing my face. So from now on in life, I'm like I feel good, but yeah. you know I don't know. It's, you just you just don't know what's gonna happen. All you can do is work hard, work smart. Yeah, be a nice person, do the thing, and then once you've done the work, it's out of your hands, you know. So yeah. you have to. I've really tried to. It's not always easy. Is focus on process, not results. Yeah, 
Um, and hopefully if you do all the process stuff correctly, the results will take care of themselves, but it doesn't always work out that way. You just, you just don't know. It's a tough business. Well, you deserve any of the best, man. So I appreciate that. I really, all right, brother. You have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Take care, man. All the best. Bye.
There you have it. Nero Forte from Slipknot from their most recent album, We Are Not Your Kind. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mr. V-Man. That was a lot of fun. I went back and listened to it. Sometimes you have some of these, you record them. You know, I recorded that more than a month ago with the expectation, of course, to put it out sooner, but things happen. And listening back to it, it was just a, a really fun conversation. And to repeat myself, I learned quite a bit. So I hope you guys really in, in, enjoyed that. I had to play that track. You know, I could have played a Crocodile Song or something, you know, Cry for Silence, go go in the deep cuts, but the song is just too goddamn good. It's a it's a modern classic for the knot. I love that video too. They're all in that small room. It's a it's it's a neck breaker. And for a guy who's got a lot of neck pain, I gotta be careful. But yeah, man, it's a... Uh, I'm just carrying on here. I figured maybe I'd read you guys an email someone sent me with response to last week's episode because I think a lot of people are hearing my story and then they'll usually share some loss that they've experienced. And sometimes it's, you know, parents that died 10 years ago or five years ago and which, you know, lets you know just how this stuff sticks with you but but a lot of people are dealing with a lot of a lot of stuff and and it's important to, to connect on those on those things to of course not feel like we're the only one experiencing it so this message is from paul panic i hope he doesn't mind using his his full name but he goes dear doc please accept my sincerest condolences on the recent passing of your father as well as the loss of your mother last year your podcast episode about the art of processing grief was incredibly heartfelt and genuine, and I wish you nothing but peace and love on your journey through this challenging time. As you make your way through the days ahead, please know that there are countless people in the background who are thinking about you, sending their positive energy, and rooting for your success. Wow, that's awesome. Your podcast, as well as the music you've made, provide many of us with comfort and a sense of belonging in an isolated world. I've been listening to X-Men for a couple years, and it's made me smile more times than I can count. Your interviews are insightful, honest, and entertaining. I walk away from each episode with a deeper appreciation for your guests and for you as an interviewer and a person. Your candor and authenticity are a big part of what makes this podcast special. I think you and I are around the same age. I grew up in the hardcore and metal scene in New England, so we probably traveled many of the same roads on our way to shows and music venues, most of which don't exist anymore. I love hearing you reminisce with guys like John Donay, Tim Williams and Scott Vogel about the struggles and sacrifice of those early days takes me back to those bygone times and reaffirms for me that I am still part of a worldwide hardcore metal community. And that means everything to me. In your episode about processing grief, you also mentioned the idea of disconnecting from society to preserve your sanity. I couldn't agree more. I disconnected to a large extent about a year ago. I've never regretted it. These days, I immerse myself in music and poetry instead of news and social media feeds. I honestly don't know what's going on uh, in the world outside my home, and I couldn't be happier about that. Ultimately, I think we're all people. I think we as people are all searching for truth, and that's something we need to find within ourselves, not in opinions and ideas of others. Anyway, sorry to be long-winded, but I wanted to write you and let you know that what you do truly matters and has had a big impact on the lives of people you'll never meet, like you. I boss, excuse me. Like you, I lost both my parents, my mom in 2012, my dad a year later, and I miss them every day. 
That's something that'll never go away. But the important thing for me is to honor them every day with simple gestures, celebrate the qualities that made them unique and remember all the things they did to help, help me be a better person. Stay strong, my friend, Paul. Well, thank you, Paul. That was incredible. And like, that's something. And again, I said, if you guys write to me at the X-Men podcast at gmail.com, sometimes I'll, I'll read your messages on the show. If, uh, if you'd like, but that was, that, a, a, thank you so much, Paul. That was a really beautiful message and something that, you know, you do something like this and you hope it affects people or you, you know, people give you compliments and stuff. But when you see someone put the effort and time to write something that thoughtful, uh, it, it, it means a lot. So, so, so thank you so much, uh, Paul. And, uh, it helps me, you know, it, it definitely means a lot. So uh, thank, thanks again. And thanks for listening to the show and supporting music and just, just everything and, and good luck with everything, everything you're doing. And I need to take a note out of your book and maybe put the social media down even more, which I'm kind of back on a little bit, but we'll see. I'm, we're working on that. <laughs> uh, also got another message from Ethan Ricks. He says, hi doc. This is short. So Hi, Doc. Long-time listener and fan from the God Forbid days. I just wanted to write and say I'm sorry about your father passing away. I really loved the episode with him, and he reminded me a good deal of a lot of my family from New Jersey as well. I hope you can find some comfort and closure soon. Take care. Well, thank you, Ethan. It means a lot. Jersey people, man, we go. The Jersey people, we go We, we go back. You know, it's a beautiful thing. But again, I and I had a lot more messages on, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And honestly, I got texts from people, you know, a few people called, you know, they're checking the doc. You okay? I'm all right. I'm all right. But everything's just a little dimmer. You know, that's all it is. Everything's just a little dimmer, a little, it's hard to get, I think, excited about things. I don't know right now. So, and we're in that, we're in that space. You guys probably saw footage of that hardcore show that Madball played in New York. And it was like two, you know, twenty five hundred people showed up, and it's so to some some degree. And I know they they kind of went against the re- regulations, but you see that and you guess, oh, I guess is this thing over? Uh, well, I don't know if it's over, but it's it's close to being over. So, but in this weird weird way, you know, because Bad Wolves, I think the only thing we have booked is maybe a couple festivals in in September, which we'll probably do. But it's so weird to think about that, and actually view it as something that will definitely happen because <laughs> we've had all these plans that as a touring band that were there and then just haven't happened yet. And we haven't, and I've, I haven't played a show since the end of February, 2020. So in a weird way, I'm, but I'm not like itching to do it in the way I would think I would. I don't know. Maybe I'm like more nervous to do it. I don't know. It's, it's weird. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to get back on that horse. But where I live in Long Beach, they have a restaurant across the street. They have bands there, you know, on the weekend. So people are playing, things are happening. So we're all right. Well, listen, I appreciate all the support. Uh, means the world to me. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And I got more shit coming down the pike that you will hopefully enjoy as well. So have a great week. Mamba out.
Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!